Hi, welcome to Lambert Park Church. Our vision is life with God for the world. Our mission is to invite everyone to follow Jesus with us through redemptive community, intentional discipleship, and everyday mission. We're so glad you're here. Stay tuned for the podcast coming right up. Um, Woody, Woody, come on out here for a second. This is why I'm holding the microphone that I recently dropped. My apologies. Time for a fundraiser. Um, Woody just says somebody wants to share, so I'm going to hand you the microphone and make sure it works. Hello? Yeah. Good morning, Lambert. For, like Scott said, my name is Woody, if you don't know me, but uh, I discovered something. I, it's better that, sorry, let me start again. Uh, Scott talks about church family, and I discovered what that meant. I've been blessed so much in particularly the last few weeks. Um, I was moving into an apartment that I didn't have furniture or dishes or anything like that. But this church came up with everything I need. And for that, I'm truly grateful. Most people that did donate things didn't want their name mentioned, so I won't do that. Except for Wendy Brower, I think, who spearheaded this. And... uh, Helping make my house a home. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks. Well said, Woody. Thank you. And thank you, church. That was not coordinated from the office. That's the church being the church. Yay. Uh, last announcement is um, some of you have noticed that since the pandemic, we have not been serving coffee, and your heart is grieved. (laughs) And uh, that's, you know, been uh, just a matter of getting back and getting comfortable and having volunteers. But if you have a heart passion for coffee hospitality, you wanna be a community maker by making coffee or helping clean up, stuff like that. We would love to have you join the hospitality team. There's a bunch of things we want to kind of renew. And we've been really slow uh, to renew some things, some things we've run in. Um, but this is one where it's time. It's time to roast or some brew some locally roasted fair trade coffee um, from our friends at Level Ground and uh, create that space. And I recognize for some of us, it's like, it doesn't matter. But for some of us, It actually allows a space to linger. Maybe some of us are more introverted and you're not quick to just run into a crowd and say, hi, my name is. Um, But having a cup of coffee creates a safe space to linger or renew you if you were up uh, memorizing scripture too late in the night or whatever, (laughs) whatever you do on Saturday nights. Um, Okay, so let us know, and I mean it. Uh, We do want to create more spaces um, to serve together and Uh, make things happen that build community. So there you go, jump in. Let's turn our attention now to scripture. If you have a Bible, open it with me to Colossians chapter three. Oh, Apex, yes, thank you. I saw your hands waved, grade six, seven, eight. Get out of here, you get your own thing. I love that. I love that you want it so much. Enjoy it. All right. Colossians chapter 3, verses uh, 12 to 17. If you have a Bible, turn there with me. 
Gospels in the New Testament, Acts, Romans, Corinthians, and then Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Fourth of the short letters. I won't tell you the page number because your Bible is different than mine. All right, let's pray, and then we'll read the text together. Lord, I thank you for uh, Woody's encouragement to us. The gift of seeing how it's worth it. To step in the room and go on the journey that maybe at the outset we don't know where it's gonna lead or if it ever will. And in your mercy, Woody sat in this front row week after week and become known by a circle of folks who've come to be sisters and brothers in real life for him. Thank you for how you've led your church in love to bless him as he gets a space with a bit more room. And we just bow before you for all of us and ask in your mercy and grace you would give us faith to take those steps that we need. Thank you for bringing us into this community today, not just into a building or a time or an event, but into a community where you are at work and where you want to be at work in us and through us, each of us and together. I thank you for those that are um, running downstairs with our middle school youth to care for them, to bless them, to know them, to be their companions as they grow up in the life of the church. For our kids' ministry on the other side of the building today and Kenzie's creative idea for today that we'll, many of us will hear about later. Thank you for those that are serving our kids. And right here, Lord, we ask you would meet us, you would lead us to yourself as we open scripture, reflect on it together. Jesus, would you awaken our hearts to your gospel and the reality of its um, revolution in our lives, its explosive power. Come, Lord Jesus, and lead us to yourself today. Amen. All right, I'm just gonna read our text as we begin this morning. Colossians chapter three, verses 12 to 17, and then we'll get some context. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other, and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace and be thankful. Let the message of Christ Dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. The word of the Lord. 
Thanks be to God. If you're just joining us today, it needs to be said you are entering into a conversation midstream, or even quite late, but not too late, fear not. And I mean that both in regard to the series that we're in as well as the text we're opening today. In regard to the series we're in, we're in a, a series called All Things New, a study on the gospel, change, and everyday life in Christ, digging into how it is that Jesus wants to make all things new in us. And so if you're joining us today, we're on week six. Um, and so if what you hear today resonates with you, I commend you to go back and listen uh, to what has already been taught because it has been working towards each week. But also, you're coming in late on this text in a way. Diving into our text today, Colossians 3, 12 and following is itself entering a conversation midstream, right? This isn't Colossians 1, this is Colossians 3. And there's a danger in that. There's a danger in just opening a text in the midst and reading on because without the context, we can misunderstand it, misapply it. And here, without hearing what Paul's saying in the previous part of this letter, Paul's words here, what you just heard me read, could feel like a list of exhausting and impossible commands. Something you'd hear at a wedding, maybe, and go, hmm, beautiful. Hmm. <laughs> Hard. Maybe just a list of self-improvement tips. Just another list of moral shoulds. And yet heard within the larger context of what the Apostle Paul is saying in his letter to the Colossians, what we just read is actually, according to the Apostle Paul, inspired by the Spirit, is actually the outworking of the gospel in our lives. It is an invitation into the new possibilities that the gospel brings in the lives of those who turn to Jesus in repentance and faith. New possibilities, real possibilities for you and for me. And thankfully, we get a glimpse of this in the text that we read in Paul's opening words of verse 12, Colossians 3, verse 12, therefore, he says, can I just tell you, if you're reading the Bible, never ignore a therefore. It always matters. It always pulls you into something that you need to keep in your mind as you read what you're about to read. And thankfully, this text begins with one of those. Colossians 3, verse 12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. There's gospel in those words. As God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. That is beautiful on its own to think that God would address us. God, who's inspiring Paul, would address us in that way. But it's even more beautiful when you remember what comes before this. If you've read it or you've been with us before, Colossians 3, verses 5 to 11 makes it even more beautiful because Paul here, if you know the text, you know that Paul is writing chosen people, holy and dearly loved. He's saying those words to people who are often not very holy, who don't seem to be living, living in a way that reflects that they are chosen, who are not often seeking to be led by love. And yet God says, through Paul, you are my chosen people, holy and dearly loved. Imagine as a parent, your child comes home after something they've done. 
Woody's laughing. <laughs> Got too many memories there, Woody? It's a familiar story. And you imagine, you expect, you anticipate God, your parents, sorry, a parent to, let's let, okay, you know, there's shame that's in your heart. You're expecting to hear it from above. And the parent says, my child whom I love, my dear son, daughter, heart open to invite us into new possibilities. That's already, we hear that whisper in this text right here. Paul, in these words already, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, he's reminding us of the incredible news that the gospel of Jesus does far more than we often anticipate or realize. Then the grace of the gospel, not only are our sins forgiven and we are reconciled to God, but we are given a new story. We talked about this significantly two Sundays ago. Every person alive today in the world has a story. Every one of us, a story that forms us, a story that we live out of and from, a story that shapes how we process life, how we understand ourselves, that guides us in the decisions we make. Some would call it a governing story. It's who I am. It's who I am. It's what I've been through. That's how my dad was towards me. That's what I'm good for. That's... That's me. We all have a governing story, a story that narrates how we live. And the mystery and grace of the gospel, according to the New Testament, when we are united in faith to Jesus, God gives us a new story. And not just any story, but we are drawn into the very story of Jesus Christ himself. Jesus' story, his life, his death, his resurrection now becomes ours, yours, mine. Paul says it, endlessly in his letters. In Colossians, he says, you died with Christ. He says that to the Colossians. You have been raised with Christ, Paul says. Your life is now hidden with Christ in God, Paul says. And because of this, we are invited into the new possibilities of a gospel life. We are invited to learn, commanded to learn, to live now in a new way, to live in and out of this story, this new reality that God has given us through grace, to live our lives in alignment with the life of Jesus in two corresponding ways. Two weeks ago, we talked about the first of these, the call to live in Christ dead to sin, to put to death whatever belongs to our sinful nature. Paul lists sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips, and lying. You used to walk in these ways, Paul says, in the life you once lived. But you don't have to any longer because you died with Christ to all of that. Through faith, symbolized in baptism. I point there because that's our baptismal tank. Next Sunday, some folks are getting baptized. Through faith, declared in baptism, you went down to the grave of Jesus and your old life died with him. So you don't have to live that way anymore. But not only that, but those ways are death to you. So put to death what is your death. So that's what we explored two Sundays ago and we needed it. We need it again and again. And it'd be easy to get stuck there in that call, because there's an urgency many of us feel, we often find ourselves aware of the lingering deadness in us, the dead ways, 
the pulls towards destruction, subtle, big in our own hearts, in our own lives, in our relationships, and how we think, how we act, how we relate to others. It's easy to get stuck there. But thankfully, that's not the whole story. That's not all that Paul says, because the death of Jesus isn't the whole story of the gospel, right? No, Jesus, who died, was raised, raised to life. And because of this, we are united with him in his, not only his death, but in his resurrection. We are now in Christ, invited into the new possibility, spirit-given possibility, gospel-given possibility of not just living dead to sin, but living alive to God, living in the ways of Jesus, ourselves, more and more. And we need to hear this. We, all of us, need to hear this. One, because it's so common to think about the Christian life, the Christian faith and the Christian life primarily through a negative lens, as though all the Christian life is is a bunch of self-denial, uh, death, things being left behind, the need to be crucified with Christ, always in confession, always in repentance. That's what it means to be a Christian. It's just a big negative. And a lot of that is core to the Christian life. Jesus says, come follow me. If you want to follow me, you must take up your cross and die daily. But that is toward life, right? That death is unto life. This is the other part of the story that all of it is aiming towards, that we would come alive in and with Jesus, that you would come alive in and with Jesus and not perpetually live on in those ways that kill you and your soul and your relationships and your character. So we need to hear this. We need to hear this proclamation of the life of Jesus and the possibility of it to grow in us because we often think of the Christian life in this big negative, but also because this second part is vital to our practicing and experiencing the first part, what we talked about two weeks ago. It's an essential part of how we are to actually put to death our sinful ways and be made new, and I hope that becomes really clear today. If last two weeks ago, you heard and your heart said, yes, yes, yes. And for two weeks, you've been trying to put to death your ways and it's become very frustrating to you. I hope today opens up a door for you into some of God's new possibilities. Listen with me again to Colossians 3, 12 to 17. I gotta say, I love hearing the sound of a baby in the room. It's gurgly, but it's life-giving. Except when they're screaming and they don't know what I'm being saying. <laughs> But that's good too. Maybe not for you guys, but for us. <laughs> Colossians 3, 12 to 17. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, that's your story now in Christ, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. As you listen to that, I want you just to park the, not indefinitely, but in this moment, as you hear those words, just to hear them as new possibilities for your life, for your relationships, for your family, for your marriage. That these are ways of living 
that can grow in you and mark your life. Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with each other and forgiving as the Lord forgave you, and over all these things putting on love. Okay, I'm catching up to the slide now. Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart, since as members of one body you were called to peace and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts, and whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. There is so much there, and we're not gonna dig into every nuance, but there is a couple core things in this that we need to name and explore today. First of all, we need to notice and acknowledge that everything Paul is describing here, that this is not just an arbitrary list of ancient virtues. This is the character of Jesus at work right? This is the character of Jesus alive in our relationships. These are the ways of Jesus. This is how God revealed to us in Jesus. This is how God is toward you and me. He relates to us in these ways with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Some of us don't know that or believe that, I was talking with one of our college students the other day about how uh, Dane Ortland has a wonderful book about the character of Jesus called Gentle and Lowly, and he prefaces his book to say that the Christian life is a long journey of deconstructing our wrong ideas about how, who God is. Deconstruction is not just a bad thing for people losing their faith. It is an important thing. It's maybe just different language for repentance. <laughs> a journey all of us need to go on to actually understand who God is and how he is toward us, to deconstruct false ideas of the God of the universe by looking at Jesus. This is a description of how God is toward us and the possibility of that life and that character and that heart being alive in you and me as we follow him. But with this second, Paul names here commands us to choose to learn and walk in these ways, to make them our own. As God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves. It is an instruction. Not simply let these things, but clothe yourselves, which tells us two things. One, it doesn't just happen, but two, it is possible. It is possible because Jesus' story is now our story. If we put our faith in Christ, we have bowed to him in faith. Jesus' story is now our story. His life is now our life. So clothe yourselves in the ways of Jesus. And before we get into the practical of what this looks like, I just want to name the image of this, make it really clear. For me, I often come back to imagining Jesus standing outside the daily metaphorical change room of my character handing over the dressing room door, the change room door, the orange t-shirt of compassion and reconciliation, saying, hey, Scott, try this on. Hey, Scott, try this on. Take off the hoodie of indifference. Take off the hoodie of cynicism or judgment. It looks crappy on you. Has forever. Put this on. It's mine. 
Try on compassion. It's mine, but it's yours now. And I know it probably doesn't fit, but keep wearing it and you'll grow into it and it'll be good. It'll look good on you. Others will love it too. Put on compassion. And while you're at it, here's kindness, the slacks of humility, socks of gentleness and patience and forbearance and forgiveness and don't forget the beret of love. I don't know. Yeah, not berets. The, um, the bucket hat. The bucket hat of love. Over everything, put on love. You know these in me, and you are now in me. So put on my ways. This, according to Paul, is the essence of the Christian life. Basic Christian living. Life in the spirit. Following Jesus. It's not that complicated. But neither is it easy. Right? I love how Mark Buchanan, in his book, Spiritual Rhythms, in the section on fall, he says, it's that simple and it's that hard. Why? Because it doesn't come naturally. The shirt doesn't fit. It's way too big way too small, not the right length on the shoulders. It's not us, doesn't feel like it at all. And we know it and we feel it. But Paul knows that. That's the beautiful thing. It's why I love Paul's letters. Paul gets this stuff. The spirit gets this and he's taught Paul. Paul knew this was not a quick or easy fix. But that said, I think we often make this more elusive and confusing than it really is. And particularly there are two things that Paul says here that we often overlook that are incredibly helpful for me over the years have become incredibly helpful as I have sought to see how this works in real life, in my life and yours. First, I think it's really helpful to glance back a few verses to where Paul says in the end of Colossians 3, verse 9, he says, do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices. He's naming something here that I think we all know, at least at a gut level, but we don't always take to heart. That sin isn't as elusive as we often say it is. It rarely sneaks up on us out of nowhere and catches us by surprise. Most of the time, in your life and in mine, most of the time, our old and fallen sinful ways remain alive in our lives in the form of habits. Sinful habits. We start the day, we turn on our phone, we go somewhere. We just do it. We have these things we've done forever. We arrive at work and we instantly, we engage with someone and we instantly, we have all these things that we just do, we do, we do, we've done forever. What Paul calls practices, familiar but maybe unnamed rituals, ways of thinking, being, doing that are well, we're well practiced in, ways of starting our day, turning on our phone, starting a conversation, assuming the worst about another, habits of thinking, being, and doing that are well practiced in us. This is a reality I continually have to come back to in my own discipleship. And with this, second, we need to realize how this relates to Paul's exhortation to put to death our sinful ways, what we talked about two Sundays ago. 
I don't think Paul ever simply instructs anyone to put to death their sinful ways. He doesn't, as far as I know, ever simply call us to turn from our destructive habits. No, he calls us always to replace them, to displace them. Turn from this by seeking this. He calls us to exchange our self-seeking ways for Christ-seeking ways. To say no to our sinful ways by learning and choosing to say yes to a new way, to Jesus' ways. As we've already named throughout the whole of this passage, Paul uses this metaphor of getting changed, not simply disrobing, but actually getting changed. Taking off our old ways, like some old stinking jersey after a game, and putting on Jesus' ways, taking off, putting on, trading in the old for the new. Imagine a young child standing in front of you holding a rusty knife. That's a terrifying thought. And you say, give me the knife. And they say, no, it's my knife. It's rusty, it's dangerous. I don't care. It's my knife. That's a hard, it could be a hard thing, especially if they've never had a knife and they've dreamed of knives for years. Or it's like their grandfather's rusty knife, whatever. How do you get it out of their hand? You offer them something better. Something that they can trade it for. Many of us cling to the destructive thing in our life and it's hard to let go because we've never realized there's something else being offered to us. Yeah, I redeemed that one. Some of you thought that was gonna go nowhere. That was good. (laughs) That was not on my page and sometimes you go off the page and it goes nowhere. The rusty knife. We'll talk about that later. Please don't give me a gift of a rusty knife someday to remember that moment. Take off, put on. Take off and put on. Trade in the old for the new. Paul always goes this way when Paul exhorts Timothy in 1 Timothy 1 and 2. Flee from these things and pursue righteousness. Flee from these things and pursue righteousness. Take off and put on. Take off by putting on even. And not just as a one-time act in the moment of your conversion when you were 12 or you were 30 or the day of your baptism, but as a way of living every day in Jesus. A daily process, a daily endeavor, a daily cooperation with the Spirit. Holy Spirit, what do I need to take off? What are you inviting me to put on today? Which helps us put this into a more tangible realm in many of our lives than we've often considered. Because trying to just stop sinning, particularly a sin we are well-practiced in, is very hard. But we can all recognize, name habits in our lives, little things, big things, that are in some way rooted to sinful pursuits, whether knowingly or unknowingly, things that are shaped more by sin and selfishness than anything else. And although it's practically impossible to simply break a habit, we can displace them by cultivating new habits in step with the Spirit. Cultivating new pathways in our lives, in our daily living. We hear this in Paul's letter to the Ephesians, 
Ephesians chapter four, verse 28, Paul writes, those who've been stealing must steal no longer, but must work. So here the repurposing of energy. Those who've been stealing must steal no longer, but must work by doing something useful with their hands that they may have something to share with those in need. Do you hear the wisdom of that? Not just, hey, stop it, but give your energy to this. Develop a new habit in a new direction for the glory of God and the good of others until it becomes your way in Christ. Next verse, he says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. That's the putting off part. And then there's the second, putting on, but only what is helpful for helping others, building others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. In other words, trade in your habit of using words to chip away at others by cultivating a new habit of intentionally listening to others so you can know their needs and using your words to encourage, to build them up. Put off and put on, which will look different for each of us in some way. Let me give a practical example from my own journey. And I recognize this is kind of like a bigger example and maybe I should have thought through something very specific and small because most of our life is the small stuff. But here's something practical for me. Some of you might, I think I've shared this before. But a number of years back, I spent a season, two years, volunteering, hanging out on Mondays at a soup kitchen for a couple hours every week. This is like... This is, this is too old of a story to tell, but I'm just gonna tell it because it's very concrete. But this is like 15 years ago. And I went and served this kitchen because I wanted to serve the poor, yes, but also there was a selfish motive. I think a spirit-inspired motive about me. In truth, I volunteered at the soup kitchen because I had come to the place of acknowledging that my heart needed to be changed in reference to the street community where I lived. The women and men who lived on the streets of my community, which at the time was uh, Surrey, Cloverdale, BC. Over time, in the season leading up to this, I became increasingly aware that whenever I was downtown, I completely diverted my eyes from seeing the unhoused in my community. I uh, try not to let them see me seeing them. And I knew this needed to be changed. Those were not Jesus' ways. That's not Jesus. God wanted me to put that to death and put on his ways. And so instead of just praying about it, just praying about it, I decided to cooperate with the Spirit to put my old ways to death by putting on Christ and choosing to commit myself every Monday at lunchtime to spending a couple hours at a soup kitchen run by another church in town that the community just went to, to be there, to sit at those tables, to serve, but also to be served, not by asking them to get me soup, but because I had need as much as they did. For me, this was a very intentional decision to put off by putting on Christ's ways, by just putting on the shirt of compassion, even though it didn't fit week after week after week. And as I did, I prayed, God, use this, grow me into this. I can't change my heart, but I can cooperate with your spirit. Would you change my heart? And slowly over that time, 
I started to see Marlon and Bucky and Miranda as people with names and stories and parents and kids, some of them, and dreams and disappointments and delights. And they became my friends. And I'd be down on the main strip and I'd see them and I'd want them to see that I saw them because we were friends. Something in me had changed through practicing a new way that wasn't real for my heart, but it was real of God's heart. And as I walked in it, it grew in me. I think this is what Paul is imagining, inviting us to in Colossians 3, Ephesians 4, and Romans 6 to 8, and Galatians 5 and 6. Yes, it's all over the New Testament. He's calling us to embrace in faith that through the gospel we've died to sin and been made alive to, to God. And in this awareness, setting our minds on this, that this is now our story, we are to choose to turn from, to leave behind, to put to death our sinful ways by heading out in new ways, forging a new path in our daily living, practicing the ways of Jesus in concrete living. Exchanging our old sinful habits and destructive ways for Jesus' habits and ways. Asking the Spirit to change us as we follow. I think it's a helpful example a bit because it demonstrates that choosing to do this isn't easy or convenient or natural, especially at the outset. Because, as I've already said, much of our sin is habitual, deep-seated, well-formed, well-practiced, we hardly have to think about it. That's the scary thing sometimes. We know that. We've all been there. We find ourselves in the midst of coming aware of a sinful pursuit in us, and we think, how did I even end up here? It just happened. We just did it. That's habit. We've done it so many times that we just did it without thinking we just naturally do certain things, think certain things, respond certain ways, turn down certain roads, right? Some of us have moved town in the same, moved houses in the same town. And we've had that experience where you're driving home from work or from church and you just go to your old house without thinking about it. That is the power of habit. Some of us have mentally fallen asleep while we're driving and we still get home safely. That is the power of habit. It gets into your being. You've done it so many times. You only need 10% of your brain. That is not good advice to the young people learning to drive. <laughs> you don't. You need your whole brain. Where's my daughter? You need your whole brain, Olivia. Your whole attention. <laughs> okay, where was I? All that to say... Our sinful ways dug deep into the, our lives as habits. Addressing these will take real thought, real intentionality, even planning, real decisions, real perseverance. Something doesn't become a habit if you only do it once, even if you do it once well. It takes time and it starts and it feels unnatural whether it's develop a new habit or to break an old and form a new one, reform it. I remember being at a driving range a while back, a bunch of years ago. I don't go at all anymore. That's another story. Um, and, but one day being there and this golf pro who was on hand noticing me 
very understandably noticing me doing something unhelpful, and he came, he'd been watching me, and noticed that I was holding my club wrong. So it doesn't matter anything else you do, if you're holding the club wrong, it's gonna do that, right? Or you're just gonna miss it, it's gonna roll over. And so he came up and he taught me, he stopped me very kindly, taught me how to hold it right, and promised, this will change so much for you. But the moment he walked back, I went and grabbed it, and my hands went back to the way I'd always done it right? To what felt natural, the wrong position, <laughs> without even thinking. Why? Because that's, that's habit. We've done it for so long a certain way that it feels that's the, way, that's the way it works, even if it doesn't work. And that's the thing. That's the point. For me, I look back and think, I had thought about it at some point, at some point, I'd sat with my dad probably over here at the cheap one by on Cedar Hill when I was a kid. Yes, Henderson. That little short course. And my dad had taught me how to swing. And he probably taught me right. Dad, if you're watching, you probably taught me right. But over the years, you know, I practiced and I practiced and I became somewhat consistent as a young person. But in my adult years, got back to it, had forgotten the things I'd learned and just kept doing it a certain way. And that's how habits are formed. You practice something, and in time it becomes natural. Some of you play an instrument. Some of you play a sport. My son, Carter, plays guitar. And he's at that point now where he can pick it up and just start playing. And I remember the day when it was like, let me, sorry, it's an E. Let me find the E. Let me find F. Oh, I hate F, you know? <laughs> or driving with Olivia when you first started. And it was like, okay, use your eyes. Look that way, look that way, look that way. Do 17 turns before you think, and the brake, and your speed, and your mirrors, mirrors, right? Like, there's so much thinking and intentionality that has to go into developing habit until at some point, you're just paying attention. And you're taking it, and no one has to say, have you looked in your mirror yet? You do. You know where the cords are. Your hands just go there. Habits are real but they take time and intentionality and vision to be formed. And they start, when they start, they feel really unnatural. But in time, they become second nature. And it's the same with putting on and putting off. Imagine a 40-year-old man getting up day after day for years to head to the office as a financial advisor. I'm borrowing this analogy from a New Testament scholar, N.T. Wright, in his book, um, After You Believe. So at 40 years, 40-year-old man having gone to the office day after day for decades as a financial advisor and then making a life-altering decision to pack it in and spend the second half of his life working at a garden center. Imagine for years he's been getting up in the morning and automatically going to the closet, putting on a suit. He hasn't had to think about it in ages. He could be 10% brain, right? Just walk over, pull a suit out, put it on, tie a tie without even thinking. But now, suit tie doesn't work. It's not practical. He'd look like a doofus. <laughs> he needs the tough clothes to get down to the outdoor work. And you can imagine how that would go, right? In some of the early days, eagerly thinking about his new work, he would, it wouldn't be difficult to get the right clothes out of the closet. But before that new habit has got really stuck into his being, there would be moments 
It would not be a surprise for him to get up some morning and without thinking, pull out a suit, start putting on a tie, right? Because you've done it for so long. It's a silly illustration, but it makes the point. Clothes don't just fall out of the wardrobe and put themselves, Michael, you got there? Give me the next one. This is N.T. Wright's wisdom. Clothes don't just fall out of the wardrobe and put themselves on you. You have to think about what you are going to wear, making conscious and repeated decisions to put on the clothes appropriate for the new life you're going to follow. I want you to linger with that. He says, you have to think about where you, what you're gonna wear, or maybe even more that, you have to think about where you are going, right? You have to think about where you are going, where you want to end up, not at the office, but at the garden center. Not in destructive ways, but in the beauty of holiness. A life-giving source of blessing to your friends, or to your mom, or to your spouse, or to the people you work with. You have to think about where you're going, what you're gonna wear, and then make conscious choices and repeated decisions to put on the clothes appropriate to the new life you're going to follow, day after day, until, like any habit, you find yourself getting up and reaching instinctively for those holy garden clothes. Simply by force of spirit formed habit. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you and over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Friends, there's good news here. This text is good news for us, that it's possible. Just as sin most often lives on in our lives in the form of habits, turning from sin can also become a habit. That's what we need to realize today. Tim Chester says that in his book, You Can Change. Gratitude can become a habit for you. Seeking the good of others can become a habit. Serving your spouse can become a habit. Confessing sin can become a habit. Generosity, self-denial, patience can all become habits. Listening to and following Jesus can become a habit your habit and mine. Because the gospel gives us a new story, a new identity, a new source, a new power that is beyond our own. So friends, what is the Spirit calling you to today? Is there a particular habit in your life, in your soul, in your thinking, in your relationships that you know that today the Spirit is saying, let's start there. Let's tackle that together. Let's rethink that one. Let's, let's explore a way to dig a new path away from that and into something better. For God's glory, for your joy. What's the Spirit saying? Let's pray.